Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and today we are going to be talking about the eighth track on Kate Bush's debut album, The Kick Inside, called Oh to Be in Love. You shift along the floor I find it hard to place my face How did I come to be here anyway? It's terribly vague what's gone before Sounds delightful. I like being in love. I do too. Especially with you, honey. Aww, Aww how sweet. I know, it's so sweet. If you weren't in love with me, then I wouldn't be on this podcast. Of course not. By the way, introduce yourself. Although, if you've been listening to the last couple episodes, you know probably who I'm talking with. But... In case you've just jumped into <laughs> listening to this episode, hi, I'm Andrew Link. I'm Cecily's husband. Um, and, yeah, I'm here to provide that other voice as we are discussing <laughs> Kate Bush's song, Oh to Be in Love. Yes. Which is a great opportunity for us to point out that I enjoy being on this podcast. I like talking about Kate Bush with my wife. Aww. That being said, You're while so I like sweet. this song and I like Kate's music, I'm not a super fan and I don't like uh, have all of her lyrics memorized in an encyclopedic knowledge. So if you are that super fan and yes. you have a telephone... Or a computer that's capable of running Skype and an internet connection that's faster than dial-up, please do go ahead and send Cecily a message because we would mm -hmm. love to have uh, more Kate Bush fans joining exactly. this podcast. You can hit me up either on email, kbcast at linkmedia.com. You can also tweet at me, strangekatecast. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash katebushpodcast. All of those accounts I'm connected with on my phone, and, well, we live in 2017, so at least that's as of the time of this recording. By the time this episode goes out, it might already be 2018, who knows? <laughs> but at any rate, I'm always on I got everything on my phone, so please contact me. I want to hear from you guys. That's why I want to do this podcast. So today we're going to be talking about track number eight. We are now at track eight out of 13 from her first album. We're almost done with the first album, yay. And we've come to the only song. Hey, fun fact about this song. We've come to the only song from her first two albums that was never performed live in any capacity. Not on television? Nope. Not on her tour? Nope. Oh. Not on the radio? Nope. Interesting. Uh, did she do a music video for this song? Nope. <laughs> did she like this song? I'm assuming so, because she felt the need to do a better version of it for her album. She wrote this when she was a teenager. This song was originally a Kathy demo. And a Kathy demo, if you're just tuning in, you're like, okay, what Kathy? Well, huh, huh. For those of you who already know it, you could be like, oh, yep, I already know. Okay, turn down the radio. Turn down my iPhone here. The Skip ahead 30 seconds. The Kathy demos were a series of recordings that Kate Bush did when she was a teenager, her playing piano and singing into a random tape recorder that she had lying around in the room. 
probably recorded sometime in like 75, 76 when she was a teenager. And some of those songs ended up getting used on her later albums, like The Kick Inside, Lionheart, and even Never Forever. There was an early version of Violin that she did way back when she was a teenager, and then she revamped it for the tour of life, and then for her album Never Forever. Ode to Be in Love was one of those embryonic songs that she wrote when she was a teenager. changed between the Kathy Demos version and this version that made it to the album? There's more instrumentation to it, of course. The original is just her singing with a piano. On the album version, she has her brother Patty playing mandolin. We're actually we're going to talk a little bit about her brother and uh, contributing a lot to her music. There were some lyrical changes. Not not very much. Um, the 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 basic melody is there. Um, In the fifth line, she says, um, she says in the, um, in the album version, it's terribly vague what's gone before. Whereas in the demo version, she said, it's terribly vague what's been before. she says in the album and never get out again and the pacing of that is a line is a little different thing is that she says on the album stop the swing of the pendulum let us through instead of stop the swing of the pendulum and let us through stop the swing of the pendulum and let us through 
It's also a little bit longer, the album version that is. She doesn't repeat the final chorus on the demo version, so the demo version barely reaches two minutes and 55 seconds, whereas the album version is just a tiny bit longer. She also has an instrumental break that is, to me, like makes me think of something from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band because <laughs> of the brass. kind of <laughs> makes me think of later, more experimental Beatles. Did she ever perform this song on a yellow submarine? No, she never did. Oh, thank God. <laughs> no yellow submarine for Kate Bush. I'm sorry. I just have a traumatic relationship with yellow submarine. I, when I was... And now I've got that song in my head. Ah! Uh, I, just, I, I briefly lived with some people who played yellow submarine. I think they got the, the like a DVD release of the movie for Christmas. And they played that movie on loop. For about three weeks. Was this when you were at camp? No, this is uh, when I was living with some friends of the family between houses. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know I know which friends you're talking about, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Nice wow. people, but the young kids loved that movie so much. So, yes, thank you for making me hate this song. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, no, I don't hate this song. In fact, no. I want to know more about this song, such as I want yeah. to know how it was recorded. Tell, tell me some stuff about how this song was recorded and how it got from being this early demo girl at a piano talking to a tape recorder uh, into being a full-on album track. Well, um, it took a couple of years between her getting signed by EMI and then finally releasing her first album, Depending on who you talk to, either there was that extra delay because the producers weren't sure what to do with her because she wasn't writing hook-driven songs, or they wanted her to wait because, oh, she's still a teenager, we can't send her out there just yet, she needs experience playing live. I mean, who knows? <sighs> but those are the speculations. Anyway, there was this gap of about two or three years where she had gotten signed and she was like gigging around with the KT Bush band and pubs around London. She was writing songs. And finally, in 1977, the record company, the, the head of EMI, Bob Mercer, said, Okay, we've gone out to the pubs and seen her play. We think she's ready. And, and tell, tell, tell me, because I don't, you might have told me before, but I don't mm -hmm. recall. Uh, how old was Kate Bush when, when she was signed versus when they actually started producing the album? They started producing the album in 1977, right as she turned, let's see, 1977 minus 58. She was about 18 or 19 when they started recording. And she was probably signed 
in 75 76 it, so it's not clear they like the the, the contract has never mm-hmm. been released or anything it's just people have said oh yeah we signed her years before mm-hmm. okay and it's also speculated that the record company signed her and then sat on her because they didn't want her to get taken up by another record company because they realized whoa we have a major talent on our hands a funny thing that, oh, let's see, not a lot has changed because one of my other favorite singers, Charlotte Martin, who is heavily influenced by Kate and has covered Kate a lot in her shows and even has her same, a little bit of her same vocal quality, but without the smoking and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlotte Martin, when she was signed by RCA, they sat on her a while probably because they realized that they had a major talent and they didn't want her to go anywhere else. Okay. So it was, it was a couple of years between her writing this song and most of the songs that were on the kick inside to getting it recorded. It was recorded over the space of six weeks in July and August, 1977. So she turned 19 when this was being recorded and The musicians she worked with were some of the most accomplished musicians of the day. And I think that's really worth noting. We haven't really talked a lot about the people that have played with her. And I think it's worth noting in this episode, not just because, well, there aren't any live other live recordings and stuff to talk about this song with. So, hey, what about the people who played with her? Her brother, Patty, uh, she has two older brothers, Jay and Patty. We talked about Jay in the previous episode, Feel It, because he he was a he's a poet and he His erotic poetry yeah. heavily influenced <laughs> her writing. Yes, his poetry influenced his little sister. Patty was the guy who brought home interesting music and interesting musical instruments. Um, he's the one that would play all sorts of interesting sea shanties. Later on, when we get to B-sides for The Hounds of Love, we'll get to talk about her version of The Handsome Cabin Boy, which is one of those old sea shanty uh, that her brother brought home and that she listened to. He played mandolin on this track. And, you know, the mandolin is not that terribly exotic of an instrument. Your your dad likes to play the mandolin. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's built a couple mandolins and strumsticks and similar things. They're they're simple but evocative instruments. Mm-hmm. And much easier to keep in tune than a banjo. Yeah. And probably even and probably even more so than an auto harp. Oh, let's not start on your auto harp. <laughs> I, the number of times I've stopped and started playing the auto harp and I just get frustrated because it wants to in tune. So Patty got to play mandolin on this song. It's not the first time that her brother gets to play on her songs. Patty has actually played on a lot of Kate's songs. Did he mostly do that here on the first album, or did he continue to work with her throughout her career? He actually worked with her throughout her career. Um, Just a couple of the other songs he's played on. In the next album, we get to talk about Kashka from Baghdad. Hey, that's another Kathy demo song, by the way. He plays something called a strumento da porco in a documentary done about her tour. They actually show some footage of him talking a little bit about the strumento da porco and that 
hey, we're going to use it for Kashka from Baghdad because it gives an Islamic flavor to the song, and it is. Also, he's played on Running Up That Hill. He played a balalaika. I personally don't hear the balalaika. A balalaika, by the way, is looks like a triangular uh, guitar. <laughs> it's a traditional Russian instrument. He also played the voliha, an instrument I've never heard of. He played that on a later song called Love and Anger. Love and Anger is going to show up on The Sensual World. The voliha is a tube zither from Madagascar made from a species of local bamboo. It is considered the national instrument of Madagascar. And he's also the only European musician who has mastered playing in the making of the Merovani, a traditional Malagasy instrument related to the valiha. And so that's her brother. He plays a lot of interesting musical instruments. As for the other musicians on that song, there is David Patton, who sang background vocals and played guitar. David Patton was the bass player for the Alan Persons Project and Pilots. Did she also have anyone from Operation Bananarama on the album? <laughs> no, she didn't. What about Operation Wang Chung? No. Uh, well, Austin she... Powers reference. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You put Alan Parsons' project into the show notes. I can't resist. <laughs> and quite the Alan Parsons project. <laughs> All right, Austin Powers reference here. <laughs> anyway, I, I apologize for derailing you. Now, of course, we will go back to the evil album of... Oh, <clears throat> carry on. <laughs> so anyway, David Patton was the bass player for those bands, and he got to play on this song. Pilot was best known for the song Magic, a song that, I, I, until I looked it up on YouTube right before we started recording this, I... I thought I might have heard it before, and then it hit the course and went, oh yeah, I've heard this. I've either heard it on the radio or in a movie, probably. had a huge hit in the UK with a song called January. It was number one in the UK, but didn't do very well here in the United States. So. arranger for January, that big hit that they had over in the UK, the arranger was Andrew Powell. And Andrew Powell got to work with Kate Bush on this album. He's also going to appear on the on the Lionheart album as well. So he was the arranger. So you got, she had all these different people working with her that were all really, really accomplished musicians. Yes. Yeah. Uh, question? Yes. Yeah, what so for someone like me who likes listening to a lot of music but is not especially musically inclined, 
what does an arranger do? Is that kind of like the third executive producer assistant in a movie? What's the arranger's job? Well, what an arranger does is decide, hey, these are the instruments that are going to be used throughout the song in this manner. And by the way, here's the sheet music or in the case of some people who don't read sheet music, they might say, hey, play something that sounds kind of like this. Well, but why would Kate need an arranger? I mean, she's such a prolific composer of all of these different styles of songs and such. Why would she need someone to pick instruments and write out sheet music for her? Because she doesn't write sheet music. Okay. She, as far as I can tell, does not write out any of her songs in sheet music form. In fact, when it came time to record this album and this song it's worth noting she would sit down at the piano and the guys would just follow along behind her Uh, i've actually got a really good quote here from graham thompson's book under the ivy i'm gonna be referencing his book a lot (laughs) with this podcast and i'm gonna get to talk to him it's just excuses to to uh These are all just excuses for us to foreshadow and to tease that he will be a guest on the podcast Mm -hmm. for the kick inside. You've actually already recorded that interview. Yes, I have. Got it in the can. I just need to edit the thing because it's kind of long. And it was really cool to talk to him because I loved reading Under the Ivy. This is a quote from Under the Ivy, and it gives a little bit of the background of Kate working with these extremely accomplished musicians. The musicians hadn't heard any of Bush's music prior to the session, and the fact that they came in cold made their subsequent reaction all the more emphatic. Patton recalls Powell had told him that her songs were, quote, a bit wild, a bit wacky even, unquote, but he wanted them to enter the studio without any firm preconceptions. Just as David Gilmore had done back in 1973, the producer said to Bush on the first day of recording, just play them the first song. It was moving. She sat down at the piano and said, It goes like this and just played, recalls David Patton. We were all gathered around the piano with our jaws dropped because it was a stunning performance. Faultless, absolutely faultless, and she could do that time and time again. Every song she introduced was just faultless. I'd worked with a lot of musicians in the past and solo artists, and it's not very often that you get that wow factor, but she had that as soon as she played the first few notes. Even her piano playing was so accomplished. I knew right away. I think we all did. Unquote. Most of the group performances on the album were cut this way, live, with overdubs added later. Bush would play a song at the piano, and the band would, quote, wrap ourselves around her, looking for ways to embellish it or give it direction, says Ian Berenson. Some direct stylistic touches, like the light reggae rhythm on Kite, tended to evolve as the musicians bedded in the song. Others, like the half-tempo breakdown toward the end of James and the Cold Gun, were remnants of the KT Bush Band's pub arrangements. And what's really neat is, like, I'm imagining somebody who, I guess, is not that much different from me in the way that I, I too, as a teenager, was kind of, like, shy, like, always doing stuff by myself. And she's surrounded by these super accomplished musicians, and they're all just blown away by her writing and her playing and especially for say a song like this one you know oh to be in love that you know the theme of it is 
honestly really universal. I can think of several songs that talk about the happiness and the euphoric feeling of being in love, but the way that she does the vocal melody and the way she plays the piano is indeed pretty damn good (laughs) for a teenager. And actually, I shouldn't say that. Just pretty damn great in general. Not, oh, this is a great song from a teenager. It's just a well-written song. It is. It's a a thoughtful song. It gives you um, a, a good sense of her emotions um and i mean the musical arrangement i think is maybe a little bit bombastic at times <laughs> i mean the oh 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 to be e, e, in love uh, yeah uh, I mean, it, it's a little bit silly but it's also the 70s and for the 70s this is it, it fits right in it it is emotional and thoughtful. So it's a nice song. Yeah. And now on to what the song is about. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's about that feeling of being in love with someone. And oh you're, you're, you're so deeply in love that you just can't feel your face when you're with them. Oh, goodness. <laughs> now I've got that song in my head. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't even especially like that song. But I don't I'll, either. I, I'm reading through it, the lyrics. But if it and... comes on the radio, if it comes on like the a radio or something while I'm out and about because I don't listen to Top 40 radio. Yes, I live under a Top 40 rock. I don't know what's all super popular now. I do like that song. Well, the, I mean, I just, just as I'm reading through the lyrics of Ode to Be in Love, I can't help thinking, you know... It sounds totally different, but like you were saying, listening through this song and reading the lyrics, the the feeling I get is that in its time, in the 70s, this wasn't silly, and this was, like you were saying, very good. It, it, it was deep for something written by a teenager, deep for being kind of pop rock music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it is very much the equivalent in its time of something by Katy Perry or The Weeknd or uh, it, it's expressing an emotion in a way that I don't feel is necessarily especially poetic, but it's it's good. Mm-hmm. It's good music. It's good radio pop. It's good rock Mm-hmm. Uh, feel free to demolish my opinion now if you think that it's deeper than that. <laughs> well, no. I mean, looking at the lyrics, I mean, I'm going to be honest. This isn't an absolute favorite just because there's there's so many of her other songs that I kind of just, I prefer. But this one, I will admit, it makes me happy. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's nice, happy, happy it's and bouncy. bouncy. It's like, and it, I'm it, in love. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, it's it's a nice happy song about the that feeling of just falling head over heels in love with somebody. It is an uncomplicated love song. Like yes. it's a oh my god, I'm just so enamored with you. Oh my goodness. It's not any of like the she doesn't get super deep with it like she will like she eventually does later when when Kate begins to explore more male and female relationships like in running up that hill. 
wanting to switch places with her lover so that she can better understand him and of course all of the sensual world which I think is a not her best album admittedly but I don't think it's as maligned as a little unjustly maligned there um it's got some interesting lyrics um all the colors look brighter now everything they say seems to sound new um slipping into tomorrow too quick yesterday always too good to forget all the colors look brighter now everything they She said, and then the, even the opening lines of the song, as the light hits you, as you shift along the floor, I find it hard to place myself. How did I come to be here anyway? Makes me think of like, huh, what? Something just hit me. What? Like as the French would say, a coup de foudre, a lightning blow, or how that's how they say love at first sight. Those first two lines are kind of more poetic than I might initially give them credit for because... As the light hits you, as you shift along the floor. I mean, if this was a modern song, I might be going, oh yeah, she's looking at someone on the dance floor. Mm -hmm. Up in the club. And it being from the (laughs) 70s, I'm tempted to go for the same interpretation. But do do you think she means that? Or do you think that maybe she's flipping it, you know, as the light hits you, but then as you shift along the floor is turning the object of her affection into the light moving across the floor. What do you I'm think? I'm thinking not necessarily that she's at a disco, because I know she was, she was an, she's an introvert, and she never went out and partied at the disco or anything. I'm thinking it could be interpreted as her going out to a disco, but I think it's more like, like, um, I'm suddenly thinking of, like, in movies or parodies, like, when, like, Angels Appeal Light, and there's a, there's a light coming in that's like, oh, so, so, so the, the object of her affection is suddenly, is not just being hit by the light, they are the light. Yeah, because they're the light that's going to, that, that they're the thing that's going to fill her life up with happiness. Okay, I can see that. So I can see I, that. Perhaps I was, perhaps I should give her a little bit more credit for depth on this song. Uh, maybe it's just the chorus that's making me think kind of Katy Perry-ish. Well, it's like, oh, to be in love and never get out again. She's like, oh, wow, just like being in love. And I just, I don't want to, I don't want to be out of this feeling because I love how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. We're continuing with this song. It continue. We continue with Kate expressing female desire. Though this isn't necessarily sexual. It's, it. this is more like infatuation. Yeah. This is like, oh, I see this guy, I really like it, but without it being like, oh yeah, I'm in love with the boy, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's not Eros, it's one of the other types of uh, love. Mm-hmm. And so, it's not this, I can think of a, a couple, like you mentioned, The Weeknd and Katy Perry. Also, there's a more recent song by Echo Smith, who are best known for a song called Cool Kids. And they did a song called Bright. And the lyrics of that song remind me 
a lot of the song because it's again like using the image of light and feeling happy and that your life is suddenly wonderful and new and bright because you're in love. And I see colors in a different way. You make what doesn't matter fade to gray. Life is good, and that's the way it should be. You make me sing The verses, I think, are perhaps... I feel awkward saying anything negative about Kate on your Kate podcast. No, we're here for discussion, and we're—it's not like we're—we're we're not trashing her or something. I, we're having a discussion. I—I feel like maybe something along the lines of an Echo Smith or a more modern song in general. The maybe the metaphors are better structured, and the the verses are telling a little more of a story. But the chorus, I completely agree, is, you know, comparing, you know, oh, to be in love with you make me sing ooh la 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 la. I mean, yeah, the, the, those are definitely equivalents. Mm -hmm. Is this difference that we're talking about an example of how art has progressed or maybe not, maybe progressed is the wrong word, how art has changed and built upon itself over time? So like how uh, movies from the 1970s that were considered revolutionary for their use of, you know, gritty realism or revolutionary for their use of tracking shots. Now that's just considered standard to use tracking shots in a realistic setting. Do you think that this is Kate Bush working in the 70s? creating art which is you know really upbeat and lovey and happy in the chorus and a little abstract in the verses and now we've just progressed beyond that or do you feel like it's more that she's a super abstract artsy person and i'm just you know maybe being unfair comparing her to more direct pop no, I think it, she's generally a little more abstract. She's not as abstract as Tori. Yeah, oh no. Because um, I, I love Tori Amos. And by the way, I do not get the comparisons between Tori and Kate. They're two completely different things No, here. no. If you were one of the dudes creating the, <laughs> that Tori Amos podcast, I would say, I love you, darling, but I, I'm confused. So. <laughs> no, but she's but Kate is generally a little more abstract, I think, than usual pop people. Plus, again, we get to like how I don't consider her really pop. Maybe on her first album here and in this song, 
she is a little more pop because there's a little more of a structure and pop music generally has like a nice clear structure however the melodies that she uses are not pop because most pop melodies if you really listen to top 40 kind of music sometimes the melodies are not really that exciting like and baby pull me closer in the backseat yeah. of your rover that i know you like that's just going between three three notes yeah. This is going like she hits a high B flat. In fact, here's the B flat, high B flat I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, when she goes out, oh, to be in love. And I get, I'm not going to do it because I can't get that high. So, so, so maybe the issue, <coughs> it, it's not a problem with the song. No, it, no. Because it, it, it's a beautiful it's, song. Maybe the problem is that I've fallen into the trap of I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the the chorus and going, okay, this is a kind of simple chorus, and I'm com- because of the simple chorus and fairly simple music here, I'm comparing it to pop music mm-hmm. when I should be going, no, Andrew, don't think about pop music. Remember, this is early Kate, and you should be comparing her to say the the early days of progressive rock. It, it's more proto prog rock than early pop than 70s pop true so 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 maybe that's the problem is i should be thinking in that way and you know i don't i think i really think that part of why she never became big in the u.s was that we didn't know how to classify her is she rock is she pop they even wanted to put her as an opening act before fleetwood mac and kate bush said um, no, I don't want to do my thing for only 30 minutes as an opening act. And, you know, frankly, I don't blame her. Yeah, and Fleetwood Mac is solidly Mac 70s is rock. 70s, yes. Fleetwood Mac is, it's the prototype for how big, how blue, how beautiful yeah. Florence and the Machine. I mean, it is, it is solid rock. It is mainstream 70s music. The, and this is... And Kate Bush is not... You might think that it could be pop because on some of these songs like this one there is a structure to it more than her other songs and it has a like it has a a more predictable chord progression yeah but at her at her heart she's not pop she really isn't yeah so i mean that's it, it it's entirely that, listening... that this song has the, the the predictable structure and the simple chorus of pop so it's deceiving me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, we shouldn't be comparing it to pop or rock. This is Kate. <laughs> yeah, this is Kate. She's doing her own thing. And she. And also that something to keep in mind is that Kate Bush grew up listening to a lot of folk music from her brothers. Yeah. And folk music has more intriguing melody lines than what you might find in pop, pop, like top 40 music. It can, but then it, folk music often, well, the lyrical content and, and, and melodic structure can be more diverse or more mm-hmm. uh, varied. The, the, the chorus is usually simple so that everyone True. can sing along. True. Yeah.
So, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about what we think about. What, what have other people said about this? And then tell okay. me, so tell me what other people have said about Kate. Well, I found a review, retreatfromgaffa.org. This appeared in a review of the album, and it was written by Robert Henschen and appeared in on December 19th, 1978 in the Music Journal. He says, she almost sounds like a munchkin on Ode to Be in Love, her voice soaring above the Wicked Witch's Guardsman. <laughs> I'm going to be, okay, this is not my favorite Kate Bush song. It's but I'm, not. I am not but going to cute. go so far as to call her a munchkin. I'm not going to call her a munchkin. Is, that is just, that's just, that's unkind. No. Yeah, no, no. Yes, she sings high, but mm, I like, I like her early voice. Admittedly on this song, she does get a little bit shrill in parts. But for the most part, I like her young voice. Um, I mean, it's a very different voice than what she has now. But I can, even now, I can still tell it's her when she's singing. Because <laughs> she's just, she pops through on my iPod. On my iPod. I'm like, yep, I know that's her. Um, she herself has not talked about this song. I have searched high and low for quotes about this song. A little aha quote there. Um, most of what I found are lots of quotes about her beginnings as a piano singer-songwriter. Um, this one is from gaffa.org, again, and it's from a page that compiles many different quotes of Kate talking about her music. This one, she says, I probably wrote the first song when I was about 11, but I mean, it was terrible. Laughs. Very overdone. And I think the more you write songs, you just get an act for them, hopefully. Since I was a kid, I mean, I've been interested in music since I was about five. But when I was about 11, I actually started writing songs. I was up in my little room screaming my head off and plonking away at the piano. So there's her talking a little bit about her beginnings with the piano. And we've talked a little, we've talked about this in the Feel It episode that her dad was instrumental in helping her learn the piano. He showed her, supposedly he showed her middle C and she just went right from there. Yeah, and that quote um, came from um, early Kate Bush, the history of the demos compiled by Wheeland Wilker, again from gaffa.org. And something else, this is also from um, that same webpage, early Kate Bush, the history of the demos by Wheeland Wilker. She says, discovery of music personally for me came when one day my father took me into the piano and showed me the scale of C on the keyboard. And I couldn't believe that this was how it worked, that it was so logical, that there was actually a plan to the keyboard that was so easy to see, that was like playing one finger on the notes and then singing that tune. And then gradually I got to understand about chords. And once I hit chords, that was really it, you know. This was the most exciting thing in my life, the chord. Instead of going out to play with other children, I used to play the piano. It was my way of talking, of expressing myself. And when she's talking about a chord, she means taking a scale and playing the first, third, and fifth note of the scale. That's your basic chord. When I play piano, I don't necessarily do my chords that way. I also try to do counter melodies. That is having another melody going on that I'm doing with my hands as I'm singing something else. It's just a little bit of Kate talking about not this song itself, but just her history of learning the piano and writing songs and 
her introverting inside playing the piano rather than playing outside with the, with the other kids. And you know what? I'm a fellow introvert, so I totally get that. Part of what I think I'm really drawn to Kate's music is that she's she's a complex person <laughs> and she's an introvert like me and I can totally get that. And I mean complex because, well, let's see, we've got this young lady who goes to a strict Catholic school by day and then she comes home and she's got a family that loves to share erotic poetry and share interesting musical instruments and talking about finding yourself. And it's much, it's not, I don't get the impression that it was like hippie man, but they were perhaps a little more liberal than the people she went to school with. And so she's learned, she's learning to balance these parts of herself. That, you know, the strict things from society versus, oh, hey, at home and the nurturing environment that I've grown up in. So, so for a song that we didn't think there would be a lot to say about, we've certainly been talking for a while, and that's yes, good. Yes, we have. That's yes. good. Uh, <laughs> what... Uh, for our usual final segment, mm-hmm. uh, what about other versions? Or uh, uh, are there any other versions that she has recorded? The no? only the only official version of this song is the album version. And then there's the Kathy demo. There's the Kathy demo, which is not official, but it's been passed around. It got passed around on cassette tapes for years and years. And since I'm one of the newer Kate Bush fans who obviously wasn't around when she began in the 70s i was able to find these demos on brian dongray's website and also you can find the stuff on youtube oh okay so then what about uh cover versions how about have other people covered this at least actually yes considering that this is a song she has never performed live and it's a song of which there are no other versions (laughs) There actually are some other covers of the song. One of them is a piano and female vocal. It's from Ka Isbin. I found her on YouTube. And she sings this song, just Girl on a Piano. And it's really pretty to listen to. And so you can take a listen here. from Luke McQuillan, who I got to talk to for the Wuthering Heights episode, like Danny McAvoy. He's, his covers are going to show up a lot on 
my podcast here because he's covered a lot of Kate songs and he's a huge Kate fan, as you all know from the Wuthering Heights episode when I got to talk with him. Um, this is him doing his own piano and vocal arrangement. To be in love, never get out to be in love, never get out to be in love, never get out again. All the colors look brighter now, everything they say seems to sound new. Slipping into tomorrow too quick Yesterday always too good to forget Stop the swing of the pendulum Let us through And last but not least, we have an acoustic version of this song done by a group called Many Things. And you can take a listen here. It's pretty. So, let's see what you guys think. cover versions that I have found of this song. I was surprised to even find any because um, I think this is one of her more obscure songs. Yes, it was released on an album, but she never performed it live in any capacity. So I think the only people who really know about this song, Oh To Be In Love, are those who went and bought The Kick Inside at some point or found it on YouTube, like going, okay, who's this random Kate Bush lady? Okay. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for having me on another episode. Uh, yes. I always enjoy this, although I do hope to uh, be replaced at some point by... <laughs> Other fanatical Kate Bush fans swarming you with requests for Skype conversations. Yes. So, like we said at the beginning of the episode, if you are a Kate Bush fan and you want to talk about your favorite song, or you don't want to talk about a song, you just want to talk about what her music means to you and how it's gotten you through rough times or just your history with her music or anything related to her that you want to talk to another fan about, please hit me up. You can hit me up at kbcast at linkmedia.com. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash katebushpodcast. And you can also find me on Twitter at strangekatecast. I want to hear from you because I love getting to meet other Kate fans. 
So thank you so much for being up here to talk with me, honey. Yay. And I love being welcome. And I love being in love. Do you love being in love? I do love being in love. Yes. I do. The cat that's currently staring at me (laughs) loves love too. (laughs) Yes. By the way, if any of you guys have heard like a random or anything throughout this podcast. More likely the jingling of bells. Probably, yeah. Probably if you heard a jingling, we've got our cats up here. And they're not actually being feisty today. They're, they're being mostly chill. We've got Anya across the room who's being real chill. And she loves love. And Dom Dom loves love. Dom, who's been sitting on one side of me or the other this whole time, staring intently and asking why I'm not letting him on my lap. He loves being in love. Dom Dom loves love. Love is just wonderful. Anyway. You might say it's all around, just like Christmas. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Now I'm going to have that song in my head. And it's probably in your all head. Anyway. Christmas is all around us, so just let it snow. Oh, my goodness. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll see everybody next week, and thank you again for being on here. Goodbye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.